There are lots of uh, fantastic prayers in the Bible. There's one tucked away at the end of Psalm uh, 139 that you will know. And it's one of those prayers that if you know and you practice it, it changes your life day by day. It's one of those prayers that gets to the very heart of what it is to live God's kind of way. And the prayer uh, is a prayer of David, and it invites us to discover the road into God's presence. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The thought of asking God to search our hearts might be quite a frightening one. You wouldn't want the person next to you to look at what's in your heart. In fact, we are quite comfortable being here because we know that the person next to us cannot see what's in our hearts. If we thought they could, we would not sit where we are sitting now. We'd be too close to the people around us. But there was those lovely uh, phrases at the end of that song, Indescribable, Something, something, uh, and you love me the same. You see what, come on, musos, sorry? Thank you. You see the depths of my heart, you see it all, and you'll love me the same. And until you believe that, you wouldn't dare pray this prayer, would you? I wouldn't want anybody to know the depths of my heart. And I'm not even sure I want God to know the depths of my heart, unless it really is true that he knows it already and he loves me the same. But it's important to journey on to that place of allowing God to search us and to know us. Why? Because it is the road to, into God's presence. It is to be led in the way everlasting. And the whole premise of this prayer that David was praying suggests that David knew that God knew him better than he knew himself and that there were things in his life that God knew about that he didn't know about, but that he needed to know about them in order that God might deal with them. And you might think, how can it be so that David was asking God to show him things about his life that he could not see? Surely if there were things that were wrong in his life, he could see it. It is alarmingly easy not to see the wrong in your own life. Have you discovered that yet? It's alarmingly easy. It's simple to see the wrong in somebody else's life. We're experts at that. But it's alarmingly easy not to see what's wrong in your own life. Here was King David. He, in a sense, he knew how to, uh, he knew how to organize his career. He knew how to train and manage people. He had a depth of understanding about God. And he said, there are things about my life that I don't even know that I need to know. You see, the trouble is we all have what I've called silent consciences. There are some things in our lives that we are so familiar with, so comfortable with, that we do them without even thinking and we no longer feel guilty and our conscience no longer speaks. If I was to break into somebody's house this evening, quite an interesting thought, isn't it, on the way home, you know, quite a wheeze really. 
If I was to break into someone's house this evening, I wouldn't get into the drive before my conscience was screaming at me. I would be frightened witless about going into somebody else's home. What if they saw me? What if I got caught? What if there was someone already in there? So on and so forth. And yet thieves, with great boldness we are told, enter ten houses an evening without even batting an eyelid. Their consciences do not seem to speak, let alone scream at them, and yet my conscience would scream. Why? Because they have trained their conscience to keep it quiet. Maybe they didn't intend to. Maybe the first time they broke into a house, their conscience did scream at them. But egged on by others, they did it a second time. And unfortunately, they didn't get caught. So they did it a third time. And by the fifth time, it was getting just a little bit easier. Until the 55th home, when their conscience no longer spoke. Inadvertently, unwittingly, they had trained their conscience to keep quiet. And we've all done that in our lives with different things. Maybe you get mega angry quickly at home. You flare up with your brother, your sister, your mom or your dad. Maybe there are certain times in your life when you cannot see further than yourself. It's all about you and what you want. And you don't seem to be able to see it from someone else's point of view. So many things, when we've got used to doing it, that our conscience no longer shouts at us or even whispers. Maybe we can watch things that we know we shouldn't watch. Read things we know we shouldn't read. Go to places we know we shouldn't go. The first time we did it, our conscience was screaming, but now, oh, Jesus. Isn't it amazing? That there are things in all our lives that are wrong and our consciences no longer scream. Is this just me? It could be, couldn't it? It could just be me. Would you humor me if I keep going, if this is just for me? Would you be kind enough just to listen so that I can get this out of my system? The things in my life where my conscience should be screaming, but I've learned to turn it down, to press the mute button. So what's behind this prayer? Behind this prayer is asking God to search me because God searches and he sees everything for what it is. God sees those things in my life that I don't think are a problem, but he thinks are a big problem. He searches every heart and he understands every motive. That's That's a tricky one, isn't it? Do you know when you do something really good and everyone's impressed with you, but you know that your motive was less than pure? God sees that as well. Ouch. He doesn't miss anything. Everything he sees. But why does he want to do it? Why does he want to search us? What's his motivation? Is it that God wants to point out the things that are wrong in your life in order that he can make you feel rubbish and guilty and frustrated that you're not the person you want to be? No. No, don't understand that for a minute. The devil will do that to you. 
He'll point out all the rubbish things in your life and he'll point them out to you to try and make you feel guilty and miserable. God never does that. Richard Foster talks about the scrutiny of love. God does it because he loves you and he searches those things out because he knows what we have been so slow to learn that these things in our lives where we've trained our conscience to be quiet are things that actually rob us from enjoying the fullness of God's presence. You see, sin or self, stops us living in God's abundance. Every error of your life that is ruled by yourself, by sin, is a closed door to God's work in your life. And let's make no mistake about it. You can be a Christian for 10 minutes, uh, or for 10 years, or for 30 years. You can be committed to the truth, you can be committed to church, but still in certain areas of your life controlled by self. And for all the talk of freedom, if you're controlled by self, it doesn't feel very free. Imagine for a moment a cup that's, uh, that's full of crud. At the bottom and all around the edges is crud. Do you know what I mean by crud? It's the stuff that gets all around your dishwasher if you never clean it. Or, you know, you've had hot chocolate three and a half days ago and it's still there on the counter and all the bottom is just thick and solid, oh, it's just mucky down the bottom. What would happen if you poured clean water into that cup? Oh, I didn't think that was a difficult question. What would happen if you poured clean water into that cup? Absolutely, the crud would be everywhere and the water would be murky and dirty and ugh. You can pour as much clean water as you like into that dirty cup and all you're left with is dirty water. You see, God's plan is to fill your life with clean, refreshing, overflowing floods of fresh, living water. But if at the bottom of your life is all this crud and sediment, this messy stuff of self, as he pours it in, it'll just churn up all the muck and the messy stuff. God cannot fill a dirty cup. And there is crud in the cup of my life. And I think there might be a little bit in some of yours too. Things that we're so used to having there that we don't see them as a problem anymore. And yet we wonder why when we plead with God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, we don't feel very filled. So how much is in your cup? How much of self? You see, because it's always self that gets in the way. It's self that gets irritable and envious and resentful and critical and worried. It's self that is hard and unyielding in its attitude to others. Self that is shy and self-conscious and reserved. As long as self is in control, God can do little with us. And you can pray for God to fill you. And it's an agonizing place. Maybe you've prayed day after day, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And you don't feel very filled. I tell you, this is why. This is why. Because God cannot fill a life that's got crud and sediment all mucked in around the bottom. So what do we do about it? So what do we do? Well, the fantastic news is that there was another cup, wasn't there, that we talked about this morning. We didn't mention the cup. But remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he talked about the cup of suffering. The cup of, of sin, the, suffer, the cup of our, of our crud and our sediment. The Bible says that he's drunk that cup. He's drunk all the mess and mire of our lives. 
that he might cleanse us and free us. So God shows us finally in order that he might save us. God shows us in order that he might save us. Instead of asking God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, change tack. Ask God to search you and to show you those things in your life he needs to clean out the way before his life-giving spirit can fill you in greater measure. And so we're asking God, and that's part of what tonight's about, we're asking God to show us. God, please show me those things that I'm now so stupid to see for myself. And in God's presence, his bright light won't tolerate all of our excuses and our petty rationalizations and our evasions of responsibility and the way we justify certain wrong behavior because it makes us feel more comfortable. When God shines his light, there's no room for any of that. We know we've been caught and it's time to confess and to receive his cleansing. You see, some of us, we're walking around with this weight of crud, I'm mixing my metaphors, sorry, this crud in our life or this weight on our back, and, and, and we've got so used to it, we don't know that it's there. A few, uh, well, I don't know, a month or so ago, uh, we went to London when Heather Barrington was uh, running in the marathon. And uh, we were there for the weekend. The trouble was, Joel, my Joel, who's five, broke his foot on the Saturday evening which wasn't a clever thing to do when you're about to spend the next day walking all over London uh, watching someone run the marathon. So I carried Joel on my shoulders all day on that Sunday uh, through London. And uh, he's a bit big for that now, but because I'm used to carrying him on my shoulders, it wasn't too much of an ordeal for most of the day. In fact, after a while, your shoulders go numb and you kind of forget he's there. Until that moment... Until that moment, hours later, when you peel him off the back of it, you think, crikey. You know, once he was gone, I realized what a weight he was. In the nicest possible way, he was a bit of a nightmare. Because at the end of the day, when we'd carried him all day, we got back to the train and the rest of us were absolutely exhausted. Just lay flat out on the carriage. Of course, he'd done nothing all day and was as high as a kite. But when he was off my shoulders, I realized how heavy he was. And we're carrying some things around, folks. It's only when they're gone we realize how much they were weighing us down. Hey, you brave enough to pray this prayer? Search me and know me, O God. See if there be anything in me that's offensive and lead me in the everlasting way. Well, it's going to be time now as we, Steve leads us in some uh, songs together, either to sing with them or to uh, listen Or just to reflect, am I ready to really pray that kind of prayer in my life for God to search me in that kind of way, Steve? Just for a few minutes to tell you what it might look like when God starts answering that uh, prayer. Uh, It's uh, nearly eight o'clock. I'm going to take my watch off. What does it mean when a preacher takes his watch off? Absolutely nothing at all. That's quite right. And... uh, with that in mind, just for a few moments to, uh, to say what to look for. This is a prayer God delights to answer. And uh, if you are serious about praying this kind of prayer to the ever-living, almighty, holy God, then begin to look for the answers to that prayer. It will hurt 
before it makes you happy. So be warned about that. When God reveals his truth to us, it is painful before it's pleasurable. He needs to give you the bad news before the good news. And when God begins answering this prayer, the first thing that happens is painful because you face what the Bible calls conviction. Conviction. You see, when the Jewish people killed Jesus, they thought it was a bit of a wheeze. He was just a mad prophet. And quite frankly, they were glad to get rid of him. But then the very first sermon that was preached by Peter after the Holy Spirit had come down, when they'd listened to everything that Peter had said, they suddenly saw what they had not seen before. It was as if God was answering this kind of prayer for them and they, that they suddenly they were convicted. They could see what they hadn't been able to see and it was painful. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Suddenly the light had come on. And that's what happens when God begins to answer this prayer. The light comes on about certain areas of our lives, but it's not what we want to see. Suddenly we see our actions, our thoughts, our intentions, our motives for what they truly Ah, that's not a pleasant place to be in. This carries a health warning. Some Christians even spend all their lives not asking this question or praying this kind of prayer because they're afraid of this moment. It's a painful moment when God answers and shows us what's in our hearts, things that we thought were okay, not so bad really, when God shows them from his perspective, we realize how terrible they actually are. When God shines the light of his Son, S-O-N, onto our lives, we we see things for what they are. Between the two rooms downstairs, main downstairs rooms in our home, is a glass door which looks clean most of the time, until late in the evening when the sun is low in the sky and shines through the glass. Then there are numerous grubby fingers at certain heights up the glass that you cannot see until the sun shines its light. When the sun shines his light in your life, you might not be too chuffed by what you see. Richard Foster calls it the liberating shocks of repentance Am I really like that? Is that how I really am? Do I really behave that way? Nathan, the prophet, goes to David. And maybe this incident is why David learned to pray that prayer, search me, O God. You see, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was the wife of a a peasant soldier. And in order to cover up the crime, he had that soldier killed. It's not your average day's work by anybody's standards. But that's what he did. And then it seemed he just moved on and tried to get on with his life. But God saw. And God sent Nathan the prophet. And Nathan came to David one day and said, David, would you mind if I tell you a story? You like stories, don't you? 
Josh likes stories. All good stories start once upon a time. Let's pretend this one did. Once upon a time, uh, Nathan says to David, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. Ah. One little ewe lamb he had bought. Thank you. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drink from his, and drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. You're getting the idea. Now a traveller came to the rich man who had lots of cattle and sheep, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who'd come. Instead he took the ewe lamb, ooh, which belonged to the poor man, and prepared it for the one who would come to him. Ooh, yeah, quite right. Well, when King David heard this story, the Bible says he burned with anger. He was outraged that this kind of behavior should go on. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Two things here. David could see how wrong it was, but he couldn't see the wrong in himself. The same wrong in himself. Interestingly, how strong David's reaction is. That man should die, the one who nicked the poor man's sheep, but he nicked the poor man's wife. Beware when your reactions are strong. It's usually covering something inside. When you get really out of your pram about something, beware. David, burned with anger, said that man must die. He'd only nicked the poor man's sheep. David had nicked the poor man's wife. Quick to condemn. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. And suddenly David saw what he hadn't seen before. It's not a good place to be, is it? At least for a moment. And the awesome reality came over David that he could have harbored such a wicked thing in his heart and acted like it was all okay. Maybe that's why he learned to pray this prayer. God, search me and know me. We need to see our sin as God sees it. You see, we're too easy on it in our own lives. A little stain here and there, a little mistake here and there, a few white lies here and there. We need, I need, God to show us what our sin is really like. And that's what happens when he answers this prayer. And we see our behavior for what it is. Conviction comes. And if you are serious about personal revival, if you guys are serious about God really doing big things in your life, and you older ones are still as serious about God doing good stuff for you, we've got to get this. We've got to be willing to go through this pain of seeing the muck in our lives for what it is. Selwyn Hughes, who's just died, wrote this. Conduct that hitherto appeared respectable, he says, after God has searched him, now seems unbelievably wicked. 
Prejudices that characterized professing Christians for years are seen as grievous sins. Private indulgences upon which people have looked with favor suddenly seem to merit all the wrath of God. Prayerlessness, ignorance of scripture, sins of omission, pride, self-centered living, long-forgotten sins against members of the body of Christ, words carelessly spoken are no longer defended by a myriad of excuses but are laid open before God. And I noted this in view of this morning. People who thought themselves worthy of heaven stand amazed that they are not in hell. It's that moment when we really see our lives from God's perspective that repentance comes. It's not that kind of thing when kids say sorry to get themselves out of trouble quick. You know the kind, don't you, George? Yeah. Everyone else does as well. It's all right. Do you know? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry! Sorry! We've all said that kind of sorry. And when we grow up, we still say that kind of sorry, don't we? But we don't say it like that. We put it in posture and it's, oh, I'm terribly sorry. But inside you so That's not God convicting you. But when you know, when you know, when you know, in your knower what it is. And I have to say, this is for the older ones, not for you folks. They've been around longer. And they can suffer with this, and you can go on to suffer with this, so you need to be careful too. C.S. Lewis says, we have this strange illusion that time cancels sin. That mere time, he says, but mere time does nothing either to the fact or the guilt of sin. The guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Jesus. Maybe the crud in some of our lives is from things a long time ago. That makes it more painful. I understand that. Sometimes we've moved on from situations, maybe for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and we've dealt, we think, with a situation, and we don't want to go back there, but actually there's crud in our lives because of what happened way back then. And way back then there was some crud in our lives, and it closed the door off a little bit to God's presence, And that door is still closed. Godly sorrow, which is what this is, brings true repentance. And I am going to stop now. So the second thing is, once you go through the pain, the tears of sorrow for conviction, then what follows are the tears of joy when you realize that you've been forgiven. This is the end of the story. Sorrow turning to joy. In fact, in Ezra... The Bible says that God was working in their lives and there were all kinds of things were happening in the people's lives and it says no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. Isn't that incredible? Some people in the church, the congregation, were weeping as they realized their sin before God. Others who were a few minutes ahead were screaming with joy because they knew that that sin that they'd seen and come to terms with in their life was now forgiven. The psalmist says, he who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Why? Because God will never highlight a sin in your life. He will never make you feel rubbish in the way I've just been describing without going on to bring you that freedom. If you're left feeling rubbish, it's not God, but Satan who's lingering around and hanging over you. Satan will highlight your sin. He will keep you feeling guilty. He will keep you in bondage. But God highlights it for one reason only. And that's to get it out of your life. Not just for a moment, but to get it out of all of our lives forever. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime, the psalmist said. And so David, 
went on to experience his cup overflowing. That's what he says in Psalm 23, doesn't he? He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The crud and the sediment of his life had been dealt with and cleansed and got rid of. What about you? Is your cup overflowing with love and joy and peace and hope? Is your cup full with the glory of God? If not, if not, then pray this prayer. Not just in these moments, but make it your life prayer. That day by day God would search you. And step by step, lift that muck from your life. That when he pours in his glorious, refreshing river, uh, uh, water, river of, of the water of life, that it would fill your soul to overflowing. Let's pray together, shall we? Just for a few moments. Prayer is the inner bath of love into which the soul plunges itself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. A bit scared about that, Lord. A bit scared, actually, about what's really in there. Lord, just remind me of your love that you know already and that anything that you show me, it's only for my good. But Lord, I want more than anything to be filled with your life, to be the, the tallest man or woman of God, spiritually that is, I could possibly be. So Lord, Lord, I want it, I suppose. I really want it. Search me, would you? Search me and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me. And help us, Lord, to look as you answer. To not be surprised when our conscience is suddenly more alert to a particular behavior than we have been used to. When we feel convicted about something that has become our habit. But oh God, don't leave us there. Work in us, cleanse us, renew us. Give us strength by your Spirit to turn from these things. That you might lead us in the everlasting way. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, would you speak to every person here that wants you to? Highlighting this week something that you want to do in their lives. And in doing so, Lord, lift a weight off all our backs and cleanse our cups that we might be filled to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen.